Thank you for all the work, Cindy. Yeah. Welcome in, everybody. Hi, how you doing? It's Monday, 2.30 p.m. Central. I'm here with Tom Nash, uh, one of the uh, biggest YouTubers in uh, YouTube finance. And uh, he's somebody I've been following for a really long time. I know a friend of the show, you've been on, uh, uh, I think this might be your third time or fourth time. I can't recall. And yeah, but yeah. Always You've been on my of, uh, channel multiple times. Yeah, man. It's It's been a cool uh, thing that's blossoming here, uh, sort of partnership and uh, friendship and all this good stuff. And yeah, man, I'm just very appreciative of you making the time and uh, coming on and speaking with me, brother. I love I what you're it. doing. You're creating such a beautiful community. Thank you, man. Thank you. It's uh, I'm blessed. I'm very lucky to to have the uh, community that I do, and I I definitely I try I'm to spend. I'm gonna be uh, honest with you. I'm yeah. envious of how why <laughs> of how um, clean your community is. <laughs> it's when always it's so wholesome. All the comments, it's, except the bots, of course. Of course. <laughs> yeah, man. It's uh, I I think I think one of the things I've really focused on is trying to be as uh, like positive as possible, but like not be fake positive, just like truly, truly inwardly be positive yeah. in the hopes that it, uh, you know, I feel like it attracts that, that, that sort of energy uh, when you're like that. And uh, I just, you know, happen to be in the Tesla sort of space. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just, that's my guiding principle. Just, just be yourself. You know, I'm, I'm a positive dude. I'm optimistic by, by nature. And uh, not being afraid to be vulnerable in front of a camera, regardless of who's on with me or what topic I'm talking about. Thank you so much, Zachary. That's super kind of you. Um, even even in the sort of battle of uh, of bots and spammers, and not the bigger I'm getting, it's it's getting a little bit weird with like folks that are you know, you suck, and I'm like, okay. <laughs> I don't mind that. That I don't mind. I can live with head comments. What I yeah. cannot deal with is getting bombarded with like 300 bots. That uh, sucks so AMC bad. AMC 304AA, XOL55ZZ, like all this. And they'll spam <laughs> you with like with 150 of those. I spend like hours cleaning it up. And yeah, like, dude. And I think to myself, how is Google is, is, is not in a place where they give enough Fs to clean this shit up? Because, I mean, how is this still a thing? It's so yeah. easy to to catch. Yeah. Like there's specific keywords, right? I mean, they repeat every time. WhatsApp, yeah. AMZ59, whatever the hell that number is. No, it's no, like they change literally... the numbers. They change okay. the numbers. <laughs> They've gotten more sophisticated. But like it's there's definitely patterns there. I just yeah. feel like they're polluting the experience. When people come into my video, I feel they come into my store. And part of the experience is just interacting with the comment section. And when they drop, like literally today, or like 400 comments. It's insane. Three different bot, like uh, masters. I don't know what they are. I call yeah. them douchebags. And all of a sudden, <laughs> like, so the comment section is not accessible anymore to my audience because it's just fucking polluted. So I'm sitting there and cleaning this up like manually one by one. And I was just texting about it today, like tweeting about it today. It's like, how is this? not being addressed by by youtube for i couldn't agree three more. years already i couldn't agree more yeah and and, and it, it's even more shocking too because uh, i don't know if this holds true for you as well but on twitter um ever since elon sort of took it over way there's cleaner. still bots way it's cleaner. so much cleaner right you've yeah. noticed that too okay yeah, one, the only one maybe two per post that's it yeah yeah nothing and so like yeah. that that like gives me a lot of uh hope that i think once twitter decides to start going down the video path and 
becomes yeah. a YouTube competitor. It'll be the first time YouTube actually has a competitor in, in this realm that has a one up, which is the community building aspect, you know, because it's like, like every single video, I've, I've started to get emails from folks saying, Hey, you asked me to reach out to you on WhatsApp, but I don't have WhatsApp. I'm like, dude, that definitely that's a scammer like that. And then that's in my head, I'm like, holy crap. So I don't want people to get scammed. Or you spam, know what they're taking advantage you know? of is because what? like, it's so obvious it's a scam, but yeah. it's an emotional thing. It's like if somebody's your fan, they really want to interact with you. Exactly. And when, when they get when they see this, oh, text me, they're not thinking like logically and trying to analyze if this is a scam or not. They're, they're so excited about it, so they'll jump on it. And I I had a guy reach out to me, and he said that they scammed him out of like twenty thirty thousand dollars years ago. That's insane. Um, but it was a happy ending because uh, he told me that uh, he went into Tesla in 2020 and okay. he was he's retired and they they got in and they bought a house and they like super Fantastic. comfortable so awesome he's like i want to send you the twenty thousand that they scammed off of me i said no no <laughs> <laughs> i was like no yeah no, man no need. it's just such a such a dark weird thing and I, it's it's a part of like the the, the the bigger the channel gets the more i'm like it i'm open my eyes open up to sort of how um just how weird this thing is that that you know that we do oh, yeah. which is this youtube thing there's like uh there's a lot of psychology but there's also like just pure just a lot of, psych looking a lot of psychosis do. also <laughs> yeah it's so true you know it's yeah, it's wild and it's and it's navigating through that has been a very eye-opening experience and, and and that's why when you open by saying that you know you're you know and quote unquote envious i mean your community is also phenomenal dude like it's 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 top no, tier no but and, yours is you like know. Super, when i read the comments it feels so clean it's like i was like if i was restarting and i was building from scratch today mm -hmm. this is the blueprint i would use what you're doing is basically so much, like man. just just cultivate the community at all costs and everything else will follow I absolutely love this kind of mentality because I, I think it's that, a win-win for everybody because like you're making money, you're creating a business, you're providing value. They're getting like a community where they can feel, feel like a part of something bigger than them. And actually, um, it's just a, this perfect symbiotic, symbiosis, symbiosis that, that just absolutely blows my mind. Um, it's beautiful. I, I, and also, like, look, we're both big fans of uh, what Tesla is doing. Yeah, That specific community has way more positivity than any other uh, kind of stock uh, ecosystem out there. Whenever I, I make a Tesla video, I can feel like the positivity in the comments. Yeah. yeah. Uh, unlike any other stock I talk about. Yeah. I, I, I'm happy to hear say you say that because that's been sort of my, my experience being in, you know, part of this community. And it's like, and that, that was like, and I was inspired by the Tesla story as, you know, to take this yeah. sort of direction is like all of, a lot of my inspirations that I've taken for this channel are are based on my time at Tesla and following that company specifically. And it's like, you know, be passionate about what you do. You know, don't be afraid to innovate, change stuff up constantly, yep. uh, you know, try to be unemotional in all your actions, you know, seek the truth and always put put your customer first. And in this case, my customer is not really a customer, it's a community. It's the people that get together to share ideas and really explore these topics together. And uh, and I can very confidently say that me working at Tesla, me following Tesla, following how Elon builds businesses and really thinks about those things directly has inspired how sure. I approach YouTube, you know? And it's- He changed uh, management, bro. He changed management he did. forever. I agree. Like I agree. we've seen this happen when, um, 
So I'm 42 years old. So I saw what the previous management style looked like. You know, the big scary boss, the hierarchy, top management, middle management, drones, the fear, the motivation is fear. The motivation is is basically belittling people. Yeah. So I saw that version when I was just starting out. Um, and I saw it like venture from that into, okay, so let's try to motivate employees instead of having them being afraid. And let's try to be inclusive instead of like, like the big disc, you know, and the big boss in the corner office. But like Elon took it to a whole new level. Like I've never seen anything like this. Like he he brought down the walls. It's yeah. like it's it's. I don't think anybody before Tesla have seen uh, such a. I don't I don't know if it's a flat managerial structure, but it's as close as I've ever seen one. It is, and it's you know where it stems from. That the single word that it stems from is trust. So like like the way my experience was it's they default to trust because the way they're thinking was okay we've done our due diligence to hire the people that we think are going to fit into the culture as well as possible yeah. everybody in this company you have no option but to trust each other and if you act in a way that is uh, in an antithesis to that that it's opposite to that you are gone like they and and they're very there's very, no compromise yeah there's no, no compromise because they yeah. know that is truly what's most important about building that culture yeah. and then when i think about okay so why is tesla so successful like it's because they've they not only have hired the best, but they've given them the keys to the business. And if I think that within the context of not just every other company that I've heard about, but some of the companies I've been to in the past, and I've been extremely fortunate in my career yeah. to be paired up with really good companies. But the story that I hear most commonly from everybody, it's like, dude, I hate my job because I feel like I'm like shackled or like it's an yep. ego trip. You know, it's like a freaking ego war zone with a bunch of people trying to, you know, career build on the way up. And it's like, what are we working towards? Like to make the company more money or to actually work towards something more important? No, so but it's this like, is the this is corporate America in a nutshell still today. It's crazy. Way more politics than than productivity in it's any crazy. business environment way more yeah. it's like i think it starts from the top Elon basically i think transmits this a notion that i won't have any of it so if you have a good idea and you can execute you're gonna get rewarded uh, if you're just uh, playing hooky and is just you're faking it i'm gonna find you Gonna hunt you down like a dog, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you're gonna be out. Yeah. And it's like, and yeah. basically, like it's the perfect carrot and the stick. And basically, it's like I don't want to, I don't want none of this other shenanigans. Like, uh, I think what's one of the beautiful things about Tesla is the flow of information. Usually, like in a big company, the CEO doesn't know what's really going on because it's being constantly fed what he wants to hear by middle management because they're so afraid of the of the top right. management. Like Elon's ability to know exactly what's going on on the assembly line in any given facility at an R&D department. At a, like it's just the flow of information is something that doesn't get enough discussion in Tesla. It's like uh, it's one of the biggest Achilles heel of a big company. You get bigger and then there's layers and then information flows and gets uh, polluted until it gets to the top. Yeah. It doesn't happen in Tesla. Yeah. It's like what's that one game? Um where you put like 10 people in a line and then somebody whispers into the ear of the other person like a broken telephone uh, yeah we, exactly we call it broken telephone in russian i don't yeah. know what it's called in america probably the same we'll go with yeah. the russian definition uh yeah. it's 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 that's how that's how most so let me ask you this do you think so do you think that style of business is applicable to most 
corporations or do you think it's limited to very few companies? How do you think about that? You need a super strong, confident, talented, like professional at the top, not like somebody who's like a manager. It's like the, the strength of Elon is he actually understands the business. Like he gets it. Like you remember when Ford had, um, I don't want to disrespect, but the previous CEO, he ran a car carpenting, like a furniture company before that. I forgot his I, name. Yeah. Um, oh, super nice exactly guy. What you're talking about. Yeah. But He's like, on CNBC I, often. Yeah, yeah. I like this guy a lot, but yeah, like furniture company, auto, auto manufacturer. I mean, he's probably a great CEO, but I mean, how much does he know about building cars? So the idea is like it can work if if this if the CEO and I love founder CEOs. It's my favorite thing. I don't like professional CEOs that much. I will tolerate one. Like for example, I would tolerate Herbert Dees if mm -hmm. he comes along because I was like, okay, he gets it. But like I would like preferably nine out of ten cases founder CEOs where like I think the value is at. So confident, um, fearless, assertive, doesn't afraid to get in people's faces, but also like, he gets the business. He knows every nut and bolt. He knows the R&D process. Like he knows he everything. He works. They work. Yeah. Yeah. And also like, uh, like the idea, you know how back in the 80s, uh, John DeLorean, when he quit GM, he tried to build his own car company. Yep. And yep. it was all about like, it was a very charismatic guy, but all about like the, the lifestyle and like the the, the cars and the, the women and like the good life. I mean, the fact of the matter is like if you're an employee looking at Elon, he's at work all day and then he goes to his tiny house <laughs> and yeah. then he's at work all day and then he goes to his tiny house. <laughs> That's a, it's like yeah. as an employee, you feel bad if you're not giving the same 100%. Right, exactly. Like he's not out there on, you know, on, on, like he goes to premieres and shit. So like he'll host the occasional yeah. SNL, but it's not his thing, bro. Like yeah. yeah, and he's still on his phone, probably working in between breaks, yeah. right? Like it's not like always. And that's the thing. It's like that was one Have thing. You seen that how really he looked on that yacht when he was like, <laughs> super, yeah, like, he looked great. That's how that's that's how my CEO should look like. Completely no hand, <laughs> out of shape, all focused in work, pale, sickly, yeah. uh, unhealthy. Oh my god! I mean, it, there's definitely something. That I saw a stand up by a. Uh, you know Andrew Schultz? You ever heard of that comedian? Of course, uh, he's yeah. so good. He's like, yeah. he said something very similar to what you said because they had the poor, you know, picture of poor Elon on the yacht, you know, pale as a ghost. <laughs> and they're like, and they're like, that's that's when I started investing in Tesla because I'm like, oh, that's the CEO of Tesla. I'm throwing my money in there because that's you know, they that, say the that same thing working. about NBA players. They're like, <laughs> uh, you remember how, I don't know if you remember, but back in the day, uh, the Lakers drafted a guy by the name of Brandon Ingram. It sounds familiar. He was supposed to be like the super talented guy, very tall, but can dribble, can shoot, can dunk, like like a cheat code, like a video game character. You know yeah. what I mean? Never really panned out. And then the he moved to another team, and a couple of years later, all of a sudden he comes out of preseason. The hair is all fricked up, like the no the beard is all over the place. He looks like a hobo. And then like people <laughs> was like, yes, now he's like. <laughs> He's all working. in basketball. He's all in like, and he had an amazing season with the Pelicans. Amazing. I think amazing season. Like people are like, yes, like that's yeah. the guy who doesn't care about the the Gucci bangs and the the dreads and like yeah, distractions, it, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah, distraction from greatness. Yeah, dude, it's it's been a fascinating story to follow. I know, uh, you know, obviously what we've been talking Tesla here for a little bit, but I I, I think one of the takes I want to get from you is, you know, t Tesla has lowered their prices recently. 
and it's one of those things where um, you've been following this story for a long time. What's up? It's misunderstood by most. Misunderstood. Families. So help me, help me walk, walk me through your thought process. The only uh, actually today was the first time, and I gave them a shout out my video. Yeah. There was an, an analyst that actually caught it correctly. I don't remember. I already, I already forgot because I don't really care about analysts that much. But I think it was Berenberg came out and they said blah 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 price target blah 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 buy rating. Don't give a fuck. Sorry. Don't give a shit. <laughs> you can I don't curse. Care. We're past the first 30 seconds. We're fine. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't care about your rating. I don't care. But then I, I want to see the logic. And then in the logic part, this is what caught my eye. And I gave them credit because they were saying, we think that the price cuts are not a, a reactionary move uh, to deal with demand issues. It's a strategic assertive, assertive move by Tesla to suffocate competition and, and increase volumes. And basically saying, this is happening on Tesla's terms. This is a strategic move. This is not a reactionary move. And I was like, oh, they got it. It's yeah. the first time I, I heard somebody actually get it in this analyst community. <laughs> Mostly they're <laughs> idiots. There's a few who get it. Um, I like Dan Ives I, a lot. He gets it most of the time. But most of these guys, they're clueless. They're just chasing the trend. Whatever the crowd thinks, they'll just yeah. mirror it to the crowd. It's... it's, yeah. it's uh, very very low value yeah and it's especially interesting too because when they announced it uh to me it seemed like you know going along those lines like tesla's not a they're not a niche boutique automaker anymore they're going to make uh close to two million cars this year so they're going to be in like the top yeah. five to seven auto manufacturers in the world yeah. from a volume perspective almost as big as lucid <laughs> yeah, almost almost Listen. one day one day, one day they'll match those awesome you know folks yeah. you know i honestly i the, the car looks i don't know if you have you seen it in person have you seen the lucid in person the lucid, it's a good car it's a good looking car man can they make it's like more than 500 car. of these cars doesn't seem like it <laughs> doesn't it's seem a like good it. car but yeah. i mean it's it's a hundred grand they can't make yeah. enough of them yeah and i don't know how good the software is to be honest i don't know and yeah. i don't know anybody except meet kevin i think who bought one that owns one Okay. I mean, they're really scarce. I know people have seen few, but I mean, yeah. I don't know what the what the hell they're doing. I mean, yeah, I'm hoping I'm hoping they they're probably going to be a niche like boutique automaker long term, like a Maserati type thing in the long term, I, especially fine. with Saudi back money, which is fine. You know, it just means you're going to get bought out by a bigger player at some point. Exactly. Like all the niche players, they, all these uh, luxury brands, they all get bought out at some right. point. They like, become a subsidiary who, of a bigger. Like, who owns Bugatti yeah. VW, right? Uh, who owns? Uh, I don't remember, like Audi, all of, Porsche. Yeah, they're all on. Uh, by the way, I saw a beautiful documentary about uh, Ferdinand and Porsche and like how the whole brand started. It's actually very okay. interesting. On uh, Netflix? But, um, I'm going to shock you on YouTube by a guy Whoa, okay. with like 20,000 subscribers. And I was watching it. And it's like, this is better than anything I've seen on Netflix. And this is a guy in his room with Adobe Premiere. He's on his own that wow. created this. I was like, Amazing. mind blown how talented people are right now. Yeah, for sure. Like it, it's the, the way the internet is, is like everybody can can sort of really exercise their imagination. But on the on the mass automaker front with, with Tesla yeah. reaching 2 million units, now that they've sort of started lowering the price and producer wife, if you can pull up the uh, the, the article. Shout I just out, with shout out to producer wife, all the great work. Shout out producer wife. Hell yeah. She's, she's the, the heart of the show. She is. She's the heart and the brains. And the brains. She's everything. She's great. Um, I cannot and, argue uh, with this for your sake. Yes. 
Yeah, thank you. Just yeah, just let's just make sure that's the that's the case. Exactly. Uh, just kidding around. But the car and driver article, producer, if you can bring it up, uh, Ford in uh, quote unquote retaliation, but I think out of necessity, they also just announced uh, uh, lower prices today on the on Ford Marquis. Yeah, yep. uh, between four hundred to fifty seven hundred dollars. Uh, so real quick, I read this for folks that are just on headphones. Uh, Twenty twenty three Ford Mustang Marquis base prices dropped between four hundred and fifty seven hundred dollars from car and driver. This uh, was published earlier today. Ford also said this year it plans to increase Mach-E production by sixty percent to one hundred and thirty thousand units. To put that in uh, in context, the Model Y is probably going to get close to or slightly above a million units this year. And yep. uh, the Mach-E was released about six months after the the Model Y, and so around the same time they were launched, and yep. Tesla Model Y is roughly. 10x the units um, yep. after after three years, which it's food for thought. I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm just saying food for thought is interesting there. Um, it's a fake car. It's a what? It's a fake car. You think it's a fake car? It's not a real profit center for Ford. Oh, for sure not. They're not making money on it. it. And, they, and they came out they and said that. that they can, like, yeah. look, I'll prove you it's a fake car. If you can leave the article on the screen, I'm going to prove it to you. So look. Sure. This decision makes no business sense. If this was actually a profit center for Ford, this would be unacceptable. I'll tell you why. So businesses, op- like you know business better than I think most of most people. And uh, I've never owned a business, but I always, I work for a company. I work for Deloitte. And what we did is we basically performed due diligence to businesses. So I've analyzed a lot of businesses in my life. Mm-hmm. So the one thing that auto companies always have traditionally struggled with is margin. It's very hard to con- continuously generate mar- sustainable margins when you're building physical stuff, especially as elaborate and complex as automobiles or planes, whatever. It's a very tough industry. So yeah. Ford is operating in an environment with about, I don't know, what, 8%, 9% gross margin. I don't remember. Single digits gross margin. Sounds right. If I'm not, um, Tesla is operating in, what, 23 24% gross margin. So yeah. Tesla is coming out from the Olympus from the 24% gross margin. And they're basically saying, okay, we're going to bite into it a little bit to increase volume. Cool. Where is this discount coming out of? If you're already at 8% or 9% gross margin, this discount basically creates this. Unless you're going to tell me this is a loss leader for Ford, which there's no such thing as a loss leader in the other industry. It's not like if you buy, if you sell somebody a Mach-E, they're going to buy an F-150. <laughs> there's, there's no loss leading in auto, right? So this is a losing vehicle. Like if they're yeah. dropping price on something that's already at 8% gross margin, there's not meat, there's no meat on the bone for this car to make money. Unless all this is is a publicity stunt for, for the shareholders to kind of make it seem as if uh, Farley and team are actually getting progress in EVs. The truth is that Ford is so far behind because of years of neglect and years of misunderstanding the industry, years of misallocating resources, not creating infrastructure for EV at all. They're so far behind that this is just a Hail Mary. And I, I like the car itself. It's not horrible. It's just... How are they going to make money off of it? How are they going to make enough of it? At this price right. level, it's it's a losing business. It's like it's not yeah. sustainable. It's just an yeah. ad. It's it's to me, it's it's if they don't do this, it it tarnishes their brand of of electrification, right? Because yeah. uh, I I if you pull up uh producer wife the uh the four dot com link that I sent you with the actual specs and the pricing for the Maki, and then on the side, if you can also do the model Y as well. Um 
uh, just to, to have it prepped. So this is what the new pricing is uh, for the Ford model. So this is uh, select starts yes. at 46, 46, premium starts at 51. The California, but I think the apples to apples is the premium, right? Because because Tesla doesn't make. You told me Tesla not doesn't even. Make the, yeah, yeah, not even the premium. It would be. It would have to be the the. I think probably the California Route One or the Got premium it. with an extended battery. Oh, okay. So the extended battery optional on the premium. So if you click on the premium, producer wife, on the order, and then add the add the extended battery for me. If you don't mind, thank you very much. So, how much does it extend it at seven thousand? So, boom, it's it's already over sixty grand. Yeah, sixty. Grand. Yeah, and so and so this car now with extended battery pack is going to be fifty seven thousand, which is above the threshold above the limit EV, yeah. for EV tax credit. So it's it's fifty seven out the door. Call it fifty eight, uh, with a comparable range, real wheel drive. It's not even all wheel drive, right? Yeah. So if you add all wheel drive, if you can do that, producer wife, see if you can find out how to do that. Um, do they have? Uh, and driver assist systems that are any good they or have this thing called like lane assist mm, and, uh, yeah it's control. it's blue blue cruise or blues clues or something uh so consumer reports rated it uh consumer reports i had a gag reflex yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, they rated it the best uh system out there but sure. did you know that the biggest donor for consumer reports is one of the heads of ford or something yeah, yeah. not only that they have gm yeah. links also yeah, for sure. Did you see the um, the? I think if you go through the C, the like the executive list, there's a lot of very interesting connections there. Yeah, a lot uh, of the legacy auto folks. A lot of legacy auto folks. I believe. Uh, I don't. I don't want to. I'm not sure, so I don't want to say it. But there's definitely historical GM ties as well as uh, Ford ties there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not surprised. Not surprised not to hear that at all. No. Nobody um, takes consumer reports seriously, though. Not anymore. I used to no. back in the day when they seem more impartial, but nowadays they're not. Uh, if you go back, producer wife, I think we may have to spec the. Uh, it's a nice looking car. One. It's a nice looking car. It's it looks good in person, man, and I, yeah. I'm sure it drives great. And the people that own it love it because EVs are just better than gas cars, right? It's like, yeah. um, that's just what it is. Um, so go I mean, I'd rather own. somebody buy that instead of a gas vehicle in general. Yeah, exactly, but they can so. only make 130 thousand a year. That's the problem. Um, yeah, California. Oh, there's all, all wheel drive optional as well. The um, big problem, like for me, is like even before you get into the price war, it's yeah. like let's say you buy this, so you're at what Electrify America, that's your charging solution, exactly. Oh my god, like this is your this is your life now. Like, I know it's a very tall order to say that this is comparable to, to the supercharger network, it's and this is America. the best. For sure. And this is the best, I would argue, the best equipped legacy automaker right now. That is the 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 closest thing to a competitor to Tesla. Like the one that's absolutely tried the hardest, I would say, and is actually trying to make something happen. Um, and this is an example of a legacy automaker going as hard as they can to try mm -hmm. and catch up to Tesla. They're one-tenth of production. And if you take the, the California Route 1, which is the extended battery range and an all-wheel drive, starts at 58, yeah. it's 13th. $12,000 more expensive net to the customer for than the Tesla Model product. Y long range for an inferior product and yeah. no supercharger network and no ADAS. So, I mean, this to me, I, I mean, this right here in a nutshell, I believe, and I might be, you know, Tesla. Do they have Bowl, their own battery tech? I mean, you understand about these things more than me. For they have their third own battery. Party. I okay. forget who, who supplies their battery, but they're not vertically integrated. None of these legacy that, automakers. I are. heard GM have their own battery, but I don't know how good it is. But, uh, but they're going to 4680s. They're oh. transitioning out of it, yeah. So they were doing the Ultium, 
uh, they call it the ultimate battering technology, but a news report came out yesterday. I don't know if you can find it. Um, producer wife from GM, GM Ultium 4680, something along those lines. Okay. Uh, they're going to be switching over or starting production of a new cell that's going to be modeled after the 4680 because okay. the Ultium technology is way too complex and uh, it's not nearly as good from an ener energy density perspective as... Um, oh, look, the, the, the leader of the EV industry. Oh, yeah, the leader. Mary Led. Mary Led. Everybody Nicola. in the comments section. Nicola. Yeah. <laughs> Good, uh, <laughs> good, good call, Mary. Nicola was a good, good call. Oh my God, that's that that clip of those two on in an interview with CNBC will live in infamy, bro. It's like my God, that's Nicola that was, was a good call, Mary. Good. Job. That was the peak. That was the peak. Uh, for those that are on headphones, GM switching to cylindrical battery cells. GM and LGES have broken off talks about building a fourth U.S. battery factory together after GM decided to switch to 4680 cells in the future. And for those that are not familiar, 4680 cells are the ones that are. Uh, pioneered and uh, driven by uh, Tesla, probably in conjunction with Panasonic in some in some respects. But uh, 4680 is the standard that Tesla has uh, really come up with. So I love uh, how you do the sign. show, like you show an article, you read it for somebody who might not be watching, yeah. and then you put it in the chat so people can click on it. It's such that's what I was talking about. The Your customer experience is second to none. I'm, I'm going to copy oh. some of this stuff. Please, uh, <laughs> thank you. It's the, it's the biggest form of flattery when I was like, of I'm course. Gonna... Yeah, my God, yeah, take it all. I mean, if, if you find something that I'm doing that's useful, I mean, my God, I, I, if anything, I'll be more than if if somebody uses my stuff, I it confirms that I'm doing the right thing, right? It's yeah, like a feedback mechanism. It's not like ego getting in the way. Oh my God, why did you? No, I don't like good. That tells me that it's good. Fantastic. I'll figure something out in the future to try to even get better. And if folks copy that, this, this is YouTube. You know? The, the, yeah, it's a wild, wild west of people copying of each other. Yeah, of creativity. Um, yeah, man, I'm I'm actually a little bit concerned about the economy this year because of some of the stuff that's happening in the auto market too. Like, what? How are you thinking about the economy this year, dude? Because I know you've you've thrown out some red flags on your channel, but yeah, there's we have um, we have a big problem right now. I think with what's what's the Fed is is in this in, very weird intersection where they have to make some pivotal decisions and i know it's it may sound like trivial oh, okay so they're just gonna raise by 0.25 everything you know that can't keep on kicking down the road etc etc but it's not that simple um there's definitely something to be said um, about uh, the origins of this. So there's there's two camps right now in America who are basically debating whether the Fed should raise more interest rates or not. Um, there's there's people who are saying, well, this is not a monetary uh, inf inflicted wound. This is a supply chain issue that was caused because of the pandemic and interest rates are doing nothing to it. So we're basically killing the economy for no reason. Inflation is going to go away. This is the distant relative of inflation is transitory, by the way, if you remember that. <laughs> um, I find this argument a little bit peculiar, even though it's been um, it's been presented by some smart people. Because the one thing that I can tell you to um, refute this a little bit is at the end of the day, we will never find out because we have thrown so much money at the system for the past three years. It's a theoretical discussion. We have printed so much money we have we have stimulated so much stimulated so much that 
it's impossible for us now to say, well, it has nothing to do with monetary uh, policies, et cetera, et cetera. We, the end, the end of the day, look, I'm a scholar of a guy by the name of Milton Friedman. So Milton mm. Friedman is uh, the OG. Milton Friedman, um, you may disagree with me, agree with him, but he said that inflation is always 100% out of 100% is always a, a, a monetary phenomena. And it's always the result of more money printing or less money printing. And I'll tell you why. Think about it this way, right? Um, there's definitely something to be said about supply, right? If tomorrow Tesla cuts production by half, cars will be more expensive, for sure. There's just not enough cars to be sold to meet the current existing demand. That's fine. And I'm sure this played a part in why we've seen inflation go up during the pandemic, for sure. But here, here's the flip side of it. Imagine the situation, and I'm going to use a very simple example. Imagine the situation where um, it's a kind of a feudal society, right? And we have the the lord of the manor, and the, he has gold, and then everybody gets paid in gold. And this this lord um, asks for some carpenter to come to to his to his castle and build something. I don't know. And then the carpenter builds it, and the guy says, "Well, look, I can't find the keys to my safe with all my gold." I can't pay right now. So can, can I write you a note and I'm going to sign it with my special seal so everybody knows I'm good for it. And you can use it as if it's just gold. And the carpenter obviously says, well, you're good for it. No problem at all. And the next day, some other guys come in to do some other work and still can't find the key. The same story happens, et cetera, et cetera. Until to the point about three weeks into it, he just stops looking for the key at all. He's like, why would I need the key anyways? This is just as good. So he keeps handing out paper and paper. And because it's not actual gold, he just gives out a shit ton of these papers. What happens is that within a year, the entire town is swimming in these papers. The carpenter is now driving a fucking Lambo. <laughs> 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 the, the pool guys, they're driving a Bugatti. Everybody's yeah. living in the castle. Like there's Rolling. so much, right? <laughs> so so this is a like a monetary abundance like the flooding of a society with money has a much more um how should i put it much adverse. more adverse effect towards inflation than supply chain squeezes because uh, when when look if we are all competing on the same amount of goods and now we have double the money that we had a year ago it just the impact on on pricing is going to be way more violent than if there's just not enough produce in the market the uh, the problem is and this is what the fed is trying to avoid the, the like in our ex extreme example what i didn't tell you is how the story can end so at some point all the villagers they realize what's going on they all hold worthless pieces of paper and they all start looking at each other saying wait hold on a second does this guy have enough gold <laughs> to pay all of us and they realize there's no way in hell this is possible physically so basically, mm -hmm. they all try to run for the castle and get to the safe the, as fast as they can to get their gold. And they're basically banging on the doors, trying to bring down the castle. And the guy is locked inside, basically. It's a bank run. It's a bank run. It's hyperinflation, yeah. whatever you want to call it. I'm just using like these stupid examples to, to show it. I think that in you know, going back to the serious answer, I think that the Fed has already done two, like it's already in a two strike situation. The Fed has 
responsibility for flooding the market with money. The which Fed has, did. which they did. The Fed has responsibility by playing the politics game, telling us everything is fine for a whole year when everybody knew the things were not fine. It wasn't transitory. So two strikes already have gone by. They have no choice but to be aggressive this time because if they won't, they lose credibility forever. The whole idea of the Fed is that people need to trust the Fed. If the Fed loses credibility altogether, we're all pretty much screwed. So they will keep pushing on with interest rates. They will keep pushing on. Um, even They might even overdo it because by the nature of the Fed, it's reactionary, and that's okay. Um, the problem, look, interest rates will get higher in 2023. Recession will come. I don't know how severe it's going to be. Nobody knows. And when the recession comes, it will kill inflation. It's like antibiotics. You, recession kills demand. It kills it it, it. it kills the whole underlying reason for inflation. And then we'll we'll we will start rebuilding. The same thing happened in the '80s when Reagan came in after Jimmy Carter, and then Paul Volcker pushed the U.S. into a deep recession. We came out of it. The Reagan years were terrific. The problem is that's my biggest fear. That unlike the setup that we had in the late 70s, early 80s, um, we have a big, giant, pink elephant in the room, which we didn't have back then. Um, we have been spending way more than we have been generating as a society for the good the good part of 22 years, 20, 21 years. So um, you know how people mention this thing, the national debt? Yep. So the national debt is not that complex. It's basically this thing that... Um, it's just the gap between how much we generate from from taxes and how much we expect to get from our government, right? In America, people, for the most part, I know there's a lot of poverty in America. I know there's a lot of problems. I know there's a lot of issues. But for the most part, on macro, on the macro level, America provides its citizens, most of its citizens, a very high standard of life, definitely compared to other countries. Now, that standard of life comes with a price roads, infrastructure, healthcare, etc. I know there's a lot of issues with healthcare and, and, and education, I understand. But like all these public services, the military, all of this thing, they cost a shit ton of money. And in fact, I can give you a number. It cost last year about $6 trillion, uh, everything we spent. Yeah. The problem is that we generated about $4 trillion from from taxes. And so that creates this gap. The gap is $2 trillion, which we don't have so basically what we need to do is print money. Now, people think we're actually printing like physical money. That's not how it works. The printing of money is basically issuing bonds and basically taking out loans. The problem is that every time the U.S. does that, they go to the piggy bank and they, they do it. And it gets more expensive as interest rates go up. So we're already right now in a situation where we have built such a huge debt, uh, $31 trillion dollars which is absolutely insane. You can see on the screen 31.5 already. That's uh, our GDP is about 23 trillion. So it's already higher than what we make, the stuff we make in a year. Yeah. So now that debt carries an interest payment. Like there's a coupon that gets gets paid every year. Um, now, whatever we took out in the past, on low interest environments, that gets zero impact by current interest rate policies. 
so a lot of people get this wrong and i saw a lot of videos by idiots on youtube who's saying like oh the interests have doubled since last year so now we're going to pay double interest no, this is absolutely false if you hear this unsubscribe so basically <laughs> right now the us is paying about a lot bro half a trillion dollars of interest yeah. per year it's a more lot than the, more, more than defense i think more, it's year. the it's yeah. i think it's the biggest item in the budget already yeah a single yeah. budget so <laughs> out of four trillion dollars of income uh half a trillion goes out of this four half a trillion over ten percent yeah so no i think it's more i think it's like 20, 20 yeah you're right you're right yeah but, yeah, 10 to but 50%, something like that. Yeah. yeah so by the way there's numbers that project how much it's going to be um uh, so in 10 years we're going to hit 1.2 trillion from <sighs> So the problem is that uh, we we spend more and more, and now the GDP increases as well, which means our tax income increases every year. But the rate at which we're spending more is outpacing the GDP growth. So we keep borrowing more, borrowing more, borrowing more. The problem that starts is when the Fed has no choice but to raise interest to deal with inflation that makes our debt repayment much more expensive going forward. So this year when we borrow money, now it's way more expensive than last year. So now our debt service, it becomes more expensive and it grows at a faster pace than when, what was before. And this creates a huge problem because now a lot of people say, oh, it's going to drive hyperinflation. No, it's going to collapse the US economy. No, 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 no. But here's what happens. The more you do it, the more you do it and the more your debt becomes more expensive, the service of debt becomes more expensive. Now, imagine you have a budget and in the budget now, instead of half a trillion, you're paying uh, 0.75 trillion on, on interest rate. Now, this money will have to come out from somewhere. It comes out of defense, infrastructure, education, Medicare, Medicaid, I don't know, social security, et cetera, et cetera. When you tap basically into these items and you take money out of them just to repay your debt, your GDP is not going to grow as fast because you're not putting money back into the system to uh, grow more GDP. And then your GDP grows slower. Your tax income doesn't basically gets lower and lower. And then you have to borrow more money. And then it creates this crazy snowball effect. Now, the crazy part about it, I'm, I know I went on a little bit of a tangent here. No, but I'll please, give you, you're good. I'll give you yeah. one more crazy part. There's an easy fix to this. And every politician knows the easy fix. The fix is super easy. All you got to do is increase tax collections. And by the way, that doesn't necessarily mean increase tax rates. It means increase collections. Many multinational U.S. domicile companies are avoiding actively taxing the U.S. in Ireland, Hong Kong, Singapore, offshore. And the U.S. tax authorities are aware of this and they don't enforce it because these guys have become so big. And so the lobbyists are basically lobbyists, allowing yeah. this to happen. So... And the biggest item in the tax collection in the US is corporate tax. And the biggest avoidance legally is happening in corporate tax. So offshore, international, multinational taxation has to, like that's the way to collect more money, not increase rates. When you increase rates, you don't collect more money. There's yeah. the Laffer curve. Just get shows. the money that's already out there that, you, that you're that exactly, exactly. The money is yeah. going to Ireland and, yeah. and fucking Singapore. Like let's, these are US companies selling in the US. The other part is the government has to spend less. So these two things have to happen in tandem. The problem is, where do you spend less? 90% of our budget <laughs> is like Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, yeah. Defense. It's like, if you touch any of these items, it's political suicide. Yeah. Or if you go against the big corporations and you say, oh, we're going to collect more, more taxes from you guys. 
and it's political suicide because they're so powerful. So every politician understands the solution, but they're too chicken shit to do it. And they're all saying, well, it's the next man's problem. This is going to be a problem in 20 years. Let somebody else worry about it. And then in 20 years, when it blows up in our face, it's going to be too late to address it. Yeah. Wow. I mean, so thank you so much for walking us. I mean, that that was an incredibly digestible, super helpful thing you just went through and, and helps me conceptualize it much better in my head. Half of your audience well. is asleep. It's like, uh, the, we're, we just we just peaked viewership. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> if anything, it did the opposite. By the way, shout out almost 1400 viewers right now. Thank you oh, all very much nice. for joining us today. Yeah. Um, the. Or what if is the third option to figure out how to grow the economy so much so that the yep. overall tax collection, right? So, I, I mean, yeah. I guess that's a third, that probably a, a very, um, you know what yes. I'm saying? So, yes, but, I know exactly it, what you're saying. And this is like, yeah. that's that just proves to me how smart you are. Because this is literally what Reagan did in the 80s. So in the 80s, like the, the way to like reduce government spending increase tax collections and outgrow the debt yeah. because when you outgrow the debt gdp goes up tax collection goes up. so this is literally what they did in the 80s in the 80s they basically said you know what we have to basically unleash the economy so they deregulated everything basically let it absolutely go berserk it's like free market go crazy and that's yeah. that's why you saw this the reagan times there like there was a lot of that happening so yeah. deregulation incentives for businesses Make it easy for people to be entrepreneurs. Less like, bro, like it's not even just about like EPA and stuff because I know it's important. It's it goes way more deeper than this. Like uh, signage regulation and this regulation and that regulation and this regulation. You can't do that. You can't do fines. It's they killing businesses with this bureaucratic nonsense. And yeah. that's just like so. Yes. Definitely what you said is the third part, 100%. The third one. It's going to yes. be difficult to do, though, right? Because you need to, you're going to need to increase the economy by 50%. Uh, <laughs> no, but you, like don't have to, you don't have yeah. to solve the problem in a day. Um, it's going to take time. Yeah. But that's why things like, I guess, AI, like the, the AI revolution, you have stuff like manufacturing you coming do, back look, to the United all you States. Do, right? that, all you have to do is just create a situation where you're not at six to four expenditure versus income. Right, just right, Just flatten right. it. Like in yeah. 2001 is the last year when it was flat. If you just flatten it and just manage, like big debt is manageable. But the problem is like not the size of the debt, right. is the fact that we keep growing it as if it's some sort of an endless pit to which we can tap in. Like people don't understand, they, they interpret very binary this the issue. Some people are screaming, oh my God, Armageddon tomorrow that's false and some saying oh this is nonsense uh, government economics is nothing like running a business we can go to endless debt also false right. that doesn't work like that it's like there's a very delicate machine and if you keep basically fucking with it eventually it's going to break and because it, everybody knows it's going to break in 20 years nobody today gives a fuck and that's a big problem right I, I remember when I when we moved to the states uh back in 99 there was a big word that I one of my first words that I learned in uh in, in English was surplus. <coughs> it was because, you know, like the, the Clinton administration was talking about surplus, surplus, right? So I guess yep. back in the in 99, 2000, the, uh, I don't know if it was because of the administration. Clint, or whatever. I, I think Clinton was the last president that had that had a surplus, uh, more right? income than, than expenditures. On the and that's what, a, that's what a surplus is, right? So it would be like yeah. the opposite. It would be like $6 billion in revenue and $4 yeah. billion in, in expenditure. So we're, but Clinton we are is making not, money. Uh, he's not a good guy. 
and I always say, yeah, I'm not even the, talking about the opposite. The, the, politics, the yeah. dead problem is not a yeah. partisan thing. Um, yeah. It's actually pretty funny. So Republicans and Democrats have equally contributed to this problem. And it's really amusing when Democrats are in power, Republicans are outrageous about the debt. <laughs> yeah. When the and Republicans are in power, then yeah. the Democrats are, is, and they it's keep hilarious. flipping it. It's hilarious. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's not like Clinton was the good guy. They're all right. culprits, both sides. They're all yeah. equally culprit in this. Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, I couldn't agree more. But it, it was just a... It's it's just fascinating how how quickly things change. Where you go from a time where yep. you're generating a surplus and you're eating into the national debt theoretically, if you're paying down the debt, versus well, you know what uh, happened in the past twenty years. So Clinton is responsible for shipping out a lot after. of the manufacturing capacity of the U.S. And what happens is like, okay, so you ship out all the jobs. Bottom line looks great, margins are better, it's cheaper, blah 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 blah. Yeah. But you ain't making shit. You reduce. You ain't GDP. making shit. The people don't have jobs. The economy is not like it. It becomes a services economy. It's very hard to grow a services economy. Well, so, that's why I'm like hopeful with like the like part of the IRA uh, uh, bill that I thought was good was that it's forcing manufacturing to come back on shore for say electric vehicles and battery manufacturing and stuff. I think that's a positive step. What What do you think about that? I mean, some I of think the- it's ironic when the first time in 22 years where you have a U.S. domicile company dominating, growing like crazy, 50% per year, actually kicking ass, and the government is taking a dump on its head. How crazy is that? I've never seen anything like this. It's, it's so and that, and that, it's insane. That to me proves it's all politics, bro. Like that's, I thank you for saying that because it's, I talk to my wife about this all the time. I'm like, I'm like, and and you know when I say God has given you a gift. God you know? has given exactly. Here's a second chance. You've, your auto industry was destroyed by the Japanese. You should Koreans, be flying a flag of Elon on the oh White my God, House. God. You know what you I'm saying? You're falling <laughs> ass backwards into this perfect situation, and you're self-destructing. Yeah. It's crazy, and it's like I'm, and I'm trying to be so impartial with it. Like you know, it gets so easy to be called an Elon, you know, uh, freaking cultist member or whatever. But like the way you just describe it is exactly how I'm thinking about it. Is like you finally have somebody, and not not just an American company, but an immigrant that came yeah. to your country and built this behemoth that's going to dominate the auto market, and it's onshoring battery manufacturing, technology manufacturing, chip manufacturing. It's yep. ta- talent harvesting from the world into the United States. And what does the government do? They turn a bland eye. If it end worse, they attack him. What is this? It's so crazy to me. And so, and so thank you for bringing that up because you just triggered me. <laughs> because it's all about politics. The, the unions crazy. play a huge part in U.S. politics. Yeah. And yeah. politicians are short-sighted. They're all about, yeah. like, their only job is to get reelected. Unions yeah. are a huge part of that. Tesla, as you know, is uh, is ununionized, and yeah. then um, it it becomes a very political game. It's very sad to me to see this. Yeah, like so they're not he's in up the there on the country. stage. They're in, yeah, like he doesn't even know his name. I'm sure at this point, it's like he's reading off a text. It's like Mary Barra, like Mar- <laughs> yeah. Mary Barra is like she's cringing out because she knows it's false. She's like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> she knows it's horseshit. <laughs> like yeah. they're all clapping. There's yeah. the, li- the the lyric is on stage, which they made like five pieces of that year. <laughs> it's like, yeah, <laughs> it's a it's fucking just... it's a it's a fucking prototype. <laughs> it's like what is going on? Is this insane? It's just world? such a transparent. It's such a transparent form of of like dishonest uh, rhetoric, right? Because it's and that's like half hoping that there is a movement. Like I'm feeling something uh, that's more grassroots as of late, especially because of. 
uh, the internet and some of these communities are coming up around uh, co companies like Tesla and other sort of really innovative companies and people that are just agnostic about politics are just invested yep. in doing the right thing that makes sense for the public, for the world, you know, like, hey, let's and and in this at the same time, build a, a very strong economy, you know, like, why is this such a controversial thing? Like, why? Why isn't this just like how everybody talks about it? And so the only reason why they don't, it's because it's a self-serving, it's a self-serving uh, crusade. It's not about making the country better or onshoring jobs or, you know, making sure that we support American companies. It's about how can I gain more power as a politician, which to me is like the craziest thing ever, because these guys are supposed to be public servants. And instead, they're just they're just hogging up the attention and trying to be in office for their entire life. We pay them, they get a pension, and all they do is half their time to spend uh, in re-election to try and get reelected, and the other half, they're doing things that are self-serving. Great. This seems like a sustainable system, you know? It's insane. That's the that's not a U.S. problem, but politics I, problem, right? But like I. I I would like to hope that in the checks and balances systems that was that was created in the U.S. that is far superior than most other countries, I this agree. would be some more mitigated. But I was so disappointed to see, like, I I'm, I don't think that I've been more embarrassed in, like ever by seeing Joe Biden call out like GM for being the leaders of the EV industries. Like, I, it's almost like they, politicians they think that. If you say something, it becomes true. <laughs> and there's no other explanation. It's like, look, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Um, look, Tesla is being ran by a guy who survived, like who took retirement money. He put it into a rocket company and an EV company. He survived multiple very close calls with bankruptcies. Uh, he is battle tested. Uh, he knows how to ramp up. He's already at 2 million, going very, very strong. Even the U.S. government can't stop Tesla at this point. So luckily luckily for the U.S. government, um, they have zero impact, besides annoying a few people like you and myself. But, I mean, sure. they cannot do nothing about it. Uh, the EV tax credit, like, they tried to screw with Tesla. Tesla came back through the main door. Even if they don't give the, like, you can slow down, like, look, if there's a basketball game where the referee is um, been bought off, right? So, which is what's going on right now with U.S. politics. But one team is up by 30 points. That referee is not going to win you the game if you're so much worse than the other team. So True. that's my point. So I'm not really concerned. I'm just saying it could have been a lot smoother if if the government would actually figure out what it has, the prize that they hold on to. But it's going to happen with or without the support of politicians. Yeah, that's a that's a great point. And that's uh, it feels like that. And until, you know, until uh, a player comes through, I mean, the only one that I legitimately think will be uh, any sort of a player in that arena is BYD. And they're not Definitely. really going to uh, they're not going to steal share away from Tesla. They're going to steal share away from everybody else. Uh, no, B some of BYD, which are American companies. Uh, it's, you know? the, it's the car I see the most in like uh, as, as the potential competitor to Tesla. And I, I'm not the one saying, I've been saying it for ages, but I mean, smarter people than me have said it. I mean, Warren Buffett obviously saw it on time, although he's been trimming a little bit, but I mean, they're, look, they don't play the politics game in China. They're very quiet. They're very, they don't make flashy cars, make very simple, very basic cars. 
They have all the technology in-house. They don't need anything from anybody. They know how to build cars at scale. They have battery technology. They've invested in, uh, in, in EV infrastructure on time. So th their setup is beautiful uh, to match Tesla, and Elon knows it. The problem is that they're subject to the whims and the, and the arbitrary decisions of the Chinese bureaucrats and, and government. So if Tesla gets into trouble in China, they lose a factory. That sucks. But that's just another Tuesday. The, at the, like in this, in three years, we're talking about what? Another three or four factories? This been three or yeah. four years? Okay, whatever, right? So they, if BYD gets in trouble with the Chinese government, it's game over. And it's True. very easy to get on the bad side of the, of the CCP because they're not thinking economically. They're thinking in, in terms of keeping control and basically dominance and keeping the lid on this powder cake that is the Chinese economy, which has a lot of problems. We'll talk about it later. Um, yeah. China is headed into a very tough decade, very tough decade. They're going to have to put out a lot of fires. So I, I like BYD, but that geography is going to get much, it's going to get worse fast than people think. Like uh, there's this total misunderstanding. Like I think people like Ray Dalio who write books about it, they contribute to this misunderstanding of where China is at. Like uh, there's this misconception that China is the next big uh, empire. China is uh, in a world of trouble. It has nothing to do with the U.S. They basically destroyed their demographic situation single-handedly by themselves. They've destroyed their future. Um, they're an aging population with no solution in sight. Um, already, 35% um, of Chinese are outside the working age already today. Um, they're just a huge demographic problem, aging population being supported by a dwindling uh, young population. There's no positive immigration into China, unlike the U.S., for example, uh, with, with, with immigration. Um, on top of the problems that they already had for years, which is questionable GDP numbers, and even if you believe them, they're based on the Ponzi scheme that is the real estate market in China. Like a third of Chinese GDP is the real estate market in China. And that you have to understand, like if you dive deep into the property market in China, which is a, which is responsible for a third of the GDP, it's all a huge Ponzi scheme. And I'm not just saying this. It's literally what it is. People are buying apartments, which they don't ever intend to live in. These apartments never get finished. They're built up as skeletons. The, the only thing you can do with this apartment is to resell it at a higher price to the next guy in the hopes of selling it to the next guy, the greater fool theory. It, and like this, if you can research this, it's like ghost, like massive ghost cities in China of these apartments, roads leading to nowhere, et cetera, et cetera. At some point, and we've seen the, the start of this with Evergrande, it's starting to come apart at the seams like a chip cushion. So... China has to deal with whatever they have concocted with this real estate bubble and an aging population and angry neighbors and horrible geography um, and potentially multiple like issues with the U.S. sanctions, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's why I like 
when Nancy Pelosi went to Taiwan and people are like, oh, they're going to attack Taiwan. They ain't going to do jack shit. They have, they have their houses on fire, bro. They're not going to go beat up the neighbor right now. They have a serious yeah. domestic issue. Like yeah. Taiwan is, is not yeah, it's, a problem. It's a huge, huge, huge thing to go after. If you want to uh, zoom in a little look bit. Look at the, the models. Look at the models for the future of China because they're trying to encourage people to have kids, but mm -hmm. it's so economically ineffective in China to have more kids. Basically, people, not just culturally, but also like they think of it cost effectively. It's like, why? So the models going forward, China in uh, 30 years is going to be like 60, 70% out of the working age. It's absolutely insane. Yeah. So we have a chart up right now. And I know we, we have to wrap it up here in a few minutes. I have one more quick question to ask you before we do that. But let me just show this chart, what you're talking about. So this is population distribution in China in 2021 by five-year age group. Yep. And what you're seeing is each bar, so at the top starts with 95 people in order. Older, it's about 0.06%. If you go down to like 65 to 69 years old, uh, it's 5.44%, right? And so what's <coughs> happening now is you have this sort of middle section that is the majority of the population, but what you wanna see in a healthy population is you want most of your population to be young. So that as they, as you want more young people than old people, because what happens in the future is those young people become old people. And yep. so so what's going to end up happening is now, if you just shift this graph up by, say, I don't know, 20 years, all of a sudden, there's not enough young people being born to replace the older yep. people. So now you have a society where you have mostly old people, which are not of working age, and they have to be supported by the government by yep. less people than were there before. And so this is just this is Japan. Just what Japan has a very similar issue. Yeah, uh, very similar. A very similar issue. But look, Japan is in a whole different ballgame, geopolitically, economically, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. U.S. has a similar issue. Uh, not to this extent, but the U.S. has such a, um, it has a cheat code. It's like whenever you open the gate and you say, come in new young people, like from everywhere. It doesn't have to be like globally. Like there's literally a lottery. Did you know this? There's a green card lottery in the U.S. And oh, people, yeah. Like, there's yeah. like 10 to 1, 20 to 1 people who are One like, of my employees in a yeah. Tesla was part of that lottery. Yeah, Yeah. there's a lottery system. Yeah. It's like there's there's no problem. You want, you want more doctors a certain year, more lawyers, yeah. more construction workers. You can choose. People just really want to come to the U.S. and work. And that's why, like, I feel as, as because of my foreign background, when, like, Native Americans are saying, oh, the U.S. is horrible. The U.S. like it's blah blah. Guys, you don't know how bad it is out there. I mean, you haven't seen like true um, Native mm, Americans, meaning people that were born here. Native like Americans, actual... not not Native Americans in the sense that like the the diction. I mean, Native like like U.S. born born, born and raised. Yes. Yeah. 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 So U.S. born people like they just very want critical. to make sure I clear that up yeah, before yeah. you get yourself into. <laughs> but I'm I'm Russian, so I I don't necessarily mean like you know. No. I, yeah. I know. I, I made a video once saying there's chinks in the armor, and I was talking about China, and people are like, oh, right. that's racist. Oh, and geez. it took me two two weeks to understand what was racist about what I said because <laughs> I didn't understand the the I didn't understand the reference. <laughs> I had to take down the video. I was like, no, that's not what I meant. I meant yeah, chinks yeah, in yeah. the armor. And yeah. the, but basically, what I'm saying, like people in the U.S. that were born in the U.S., they have this very critical way of thinking, and obviously, the U.S. has a lot of problems. Alex Jones, <laughs> poverty, <laughs> racism, sure. But why don't you go and live in other places and, and check it out? There's very few other places on earth you can you can basically um, chase your dreams, get compensated fairly, 
and get actual value from the, from the local government, from the federal government, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it's not perfect, but there's there's very few other places on earth I think I would I would even consider living in except yeah. the US. Same brother. Yeah, I mean I you know take it from two guys that uh that don't sound native and yeah. uh don't look native. Uh freaking the states is is freaking awesome. It's far from perfect. And I yeah, think all no of us as citizens there's no perfect trying, countries. Know. Right. But I mean uh, look, there's a I lot of beautiful really like do. like I was uh, on vacation in Italy. It was beautiful. I would never want to live there. With all due respect to I love Italy is amazing, great food, beautiful countryside, great nice people, but I mean like the problem is like the US has created a system that's very hard to replicate is if you have a talent and you apply yourself, you have a good chance of jumping and leapfrogging your socioeconomic status. It's very hard to do in other countries. I don't know how to explain how insanely impossible it is in most other countries. You can be the smartest guy in your class. You can have, you work the hardest, but the barriers, the social, socioeconomic yeah. barriers in other countries are are very tough to leapfrog. Yeah. Yeah. And in the US, it's easy. Like, not saying that anybody can do it, but I mean, it's it's more Comparatively of a fair game. Yeah, easier. fair game. Yeah, much, much easier, yeah. yeah. And the reason why, dude, and, the, and honestly, like you've, you've kind of hit the nail on why a company like, you know, if I bring it back around to the thing we we're talking about at the beginning, why a company like Tesla is so like near and dear to my heart is because I view them as the as the best representation of what yeah. America is. And yeah. that ultimately is why I feel so passionate, not just about America, but about that specific company, because it's literally America encapsulated into a company. And it exactly. feels incredible. And it's such a beautiful thing. Before yeah, we wrap a, up, Tom, an immigrant, yeah, go ahead. That cre yeah. immigrant creates yeah. a company out of thin air and with all yeah. the respect to Ebenhardt and Ebergreen, whatever the fuck their names are, <laughs> like they had a go-kart electric company project, science project. Yeah. I, I, and Elon has made them very rich. And yeah. uh, obviously, you know, I'm just kidding. They're the founders. I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. Elon has stepped into this company that has a lot of, had a lot of issues. It was far from a threat for the auto industry. In fact, I'm being very gentle here. And they've created this force of nature out of thin air i am i it's it's the if this was a movie we would get criticized that it's not believable it's too right it's too crazy like nobody would buy it like guys this is not like it's it's too imaginary it's too it's too it's too insane yeah yeah that's beautiful that's way to put it yeah. yeah beautiful way to put it um real quick before we wrap up tom so wednesday fomc uh gets announced I, I believe a uh, rate increase you think that it's, it's 0.25 look it's no very simple asked. i i look if it's above 0.25 bra brace for a shit sandwich in the stock market if it's zero and they say oh we're waiting to see it's gonna be a bonanza Glorious. like we have absolutely insane but the chances of either of these scenarios happening i would say less than one percent it's going okay. to be 0.25 everybody knows it um, and it's, it's probably going to be 0.25 again after that. Um, and if it's going to be 0.25, it's already priced in. So not not expecting a lot of movement. Although, dude, this is a crazy market. I don't know. I just yeah. don't. I don't know. But it, yeah. it's like the the educated answer is 0.25 is priced in. But man, yeah. we've seen some crazy shit. Yeah, <laughs> dude. Year. I mean. Part of me, my part of my hope, and you tell me if this is unrealistic, and then we'll sign off here. Like the the housing market is clearly 
uh, just completely frozen. Mortgage rates are starting to come down. Yeah. Used, used and new car prices are collapsing. Um, and uh, people are laying off workers everywhere. And the Fed said we're going to start trying to be a little bit more forward-looking in yeah. some ways. Don't, don't you think this is the perfect setup for, okay, we're going to wait and see what happens? They're in the afraid months? of letting go too soon. If you pull up, there's a chart that shows inflation in the 70s, 80s, et cetera, et cetera. There's a chart, very famous chart. I'm sure a, a producer wife yeah, see if you can <laughs> find it. it. And you nice. can see that inflation has started to come down in the 70s. It started to come down. The Fed went back down to 5% interest from, I don't remember, like there was a correlation, very similar thing. Inflation started spiking, Fed went crazy. Inflation started dropping, dropped to, I think, 4%, very close. And then the Fed started to ease up and then it spiked again. And then Paul Volcker had to step in and basically crash the entire economy to fix it. I'm going to try to find it. Hold on. Okay. Um, I have it somewhere here. Uh, and if if I can't, I'll find it for you. Hold on. Is that uh, it? Mm, yeah, but this chart doesn't doesn't show. Uh, wait, I know where to find it. It's in it's in Michael Berry's tweets, I think. Um, Shout out Michael Berry, the forever my, bear. <laughs> yeah. um, Him and Peter Schiff it. are both forever bears. Uh, well, yeah. Peter Schiff has different reasons than Michael Berry. Michael yeah. Burry, you can say just attention, and he enjoys the pandemonium. Peter Schiff has uh, been on this gold, buy gold thing for yeah, uh, forever. years, forever. Yeah. So, I actually uh, have his one book he wrote a while ago. It was actually very helpful. Uh, I forget what it was. Uh, it was kind of explaining the economy and how supply and demand works. I forget the name of the book. It was actually a good read. Peter Schiff, I agree with him 99% of the time, but like, I would totally hang out with the guy because he just, he's just seems like such a chaos person, and it's, he just seems really fun. <laughs> well, I can't <laughs> find it right now, but basically there no was... Problem. In this, in the big inflationary spike in the seventies, we had an easing off period, and the Fed has taken the foot off the pedal because they're saying, "Okay, inflation is coming down, we can relax," and then it shot up like crazy. So, mm. with the two strikes we talked about already earlier, the Fed is really apprehensive about letting that happen because this would be the ultimate nail in the coffin if they yeah. do that. So they're like, "We're we're not gonna ease off too soon because." We've seen it happen in the 70s and how bad it's going to be. And also, we already have a huge um, a huge two strikes we're carrying. So we'd rather just see it all the way through. Um, the only way the Fed eases off is when unemployment goes to 4.5% and above and inflation goes below 3%. Like if inflation, inflation below 3%, unemployment above 4%, until then, they're going to keep pushing. It's just too okay. scary because we've seen it already kind of do the head fake and then go up stronger than it's like a diet, you know, when you get off the diet and then yeah. you eat and then you get more. <laughs> I've done this. You that's why I know. Yeah, I I've been there too. Yeah. yeah. I've been there so, too. Tom, so. thank you so much, brother. What a discussion. Uh, that was the, one of the fastest hours of my life. Um, I would thank love to have you back again to talk about anything, dude, because you're, I think you're a wealth of knowledge. I think one of, one of my really, my favorite things about your channel, by the way, if you don't follow Tom Nash, just literally search Tom Nash. You'll find him on YouTube. Somebody did an F-bomb counter, one of your community members. Oh, he did? What, what, are you, what are you at? Probably like four or five, right? Oh, the last time you came on, they did an F-bomb counter. They, too, he that. says nine. Nine? Okay. I think that was better than your 40. You had time. one. You had one, though. <laughs> I had one. You had one. <laughs> but uh, I, I think uh, you do uh, really good financial content. I What I really appreciate about your 
uh, insight is sort of geopolitical uh, sort of world uh, knowledge and uh, politics. Every time I speak and, to people, they tell me this. Yeah. But every time I make a video about these topics, nobody watches them. You know, it's you crazy. have to do them. You have to do them. You know Everybody tells me, oh, we love this content. We love this. But the numbers, you know, we are driven yeah. by numbers, right? Because like at the end of the day, we, the audience, they drive the bus, right? right so we, right. we give them the content that they, they want to see more of. It's like whenever I do this stuff, it's like it has very low numbers. So it's like almost my like. I guess I should do a separate channel for that. Yeah, I, I would like the OGs. That's what I'll do. I would. I would. Yeah, because it's and then and then that you know how the algorithm works. And the, say, the, the, I'm coming for it. you, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> I would much rather watch you than Peter. I would I much love, rather watch you him. than Peter. I love him. He's brilliant. He's brilliant. He's a very smart guy, but he tends to like really. Um, Bro, I don't know. He has he some pretty bad takes. Look, he has a bad take on Tesla and on EVs. But that's just because mm, for a normal person, it's very hard to comprehend how somebody can achieve the impossible. Because like Tesla is a story of impossibilities being reality. And if you've been following the Tesla story from day one, you it's very hard to bet against Elon being able to find a solution. Like imagine like in pandemic times nobody could get parts tesla never had a parts issue and like this peter zehan is looking at this as a realist is saying well look there's a lot of challenges in ramping up this ev industry and this and that and that, and that. but he's not he hasn't like looked at it he, the, the, the light bulb hasn't really like dinged in his head basically saying well tesla is different like i like, he's looking for like resource management issues like raw materials, yeah. mega trend stuff. Yeah, I get yeah. it what he's talking about, but I mean, he's not an EV uh, expert in that That's sense. Fair. And I think like most institutional investors, that's why they also they haven't gotten on board with Tesla. I don't think it's buybacks or the key man risk at Tesla, which are both things that need to be addressed for more institutionals to jump on board. Maybe part two for our interview. I think yeah. for institutionals. Institutional investors, the main part is the fact that they haven't bought in into the story. They're not fully on board with this because, like, they're saying, oh, they they still not. Uh, they're not sold on the fact that they can do what they're saying they're going to do. It's very hard for somebody who's a, who's like a cowboy, right, to come in and say, "Well, pay pay twenty times more than GM for this company." It's like, why? This is a, why should I pay twenty times? It's that thing. It's just, it's a very tough barrier for them to cross. I think that the crossing of the Rubicon in that sense will happen when Tesla Energy, because this is a sleeping giant and we can see the embers kind of starting to like, yeah. like people don't pay attention. The energy business is slowly starting to unravel. And when that happens, when the AI stuff come out more, when the, the semi, the cyber truck, so it will happen, but they're going to overpay because of their hesitance. Right. And and that's okay. They they usually do. Um, they're not it's good the for business. retail. That that's early, basically. Yeah. So at the end of the day, um, I I tell the story all, all the time. One of my relatives is an early Tesla investor. I'm talking like IPO level stuff, like super super early. Oh. And uh, um, he hasn't sold a single share as of uh, at least a couple of weeks ago that I spoke with, and he has no intention of. Oh. And. Well. Uh, He's not a wealthy guy, cash wealthy guy. Like uh, he he just bought a house and he took out a mortgage. <laughs> like he's not like the amount he yeah. has in Tesla. He's sensible. He 
he's a he's sensible just, gentleman. I think that it's not so much about sensibility, but basically, he like he's he's saying, well, this is like, this is not even, this isn't this yeah, ain't not even it, close. Not even close. Yeah, yeah. Got it. Got it. Got so, it. Okay, makes sense. You makes you may yeah, that's like him or not, it doesn't matter. But I mean, yeah, institutional investors, they don't analyze like this investments they can't they physically like people like why gary black says this about tesla i, I spoke to warren and he's like very critical because look gary black is right and warren is right and they're both right the problem is like you can't expect um professional investors to um, to take this sort of approach of uh, a 20-year plan leap of faith on on the crazy dream and that they're not in that business they look at they they look at the balance sheet. They look at uh, units. Okay, this is a two million car, one point three million car car company. Oh, Toyota is a ten million car company. How come it's trading like so much more? No, not for us. Thank you. That's that's it. And yeah. it's okay. They're not they're not in that business. But like, hey, guess mm. what? There has never been a company in the history of the stock market with under a. With sorry, with over sixty percent retail, that has been so stable. Like when you have retail participation that is so high, it's usually canary in the coal mine that there's problems right. ahead. Not for Tesla, it's more volatile than more solid stocks that have like sixty-five percent institutional investors. But for the most part, every time it dips, it, it bounces back up. It bends. It's like the seventies Pittsburgh Steelers. It bends, yeah, bend, but it never break. breaks. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a four three with the with the with the cover two. You just play that every single play, and you and you uh you just you're, you're, you end like up winning. A true Penn State fan who's <laughs> hell yeah. Who hey, watch yourself. Okay, you should no, have beat I, TCU. FYI, <laughs> bro. Should have won can, that game. I can tell you this is a very painful topic. Um, it was not like the score lies. This was a game in which TCU dominated Michigan. Like I don't know if you watched the game. You I had did. A yeah. To catch the game. I did. You know what I'm talking about. It they wanted it more. It wasn't close. Michigan almost pulled it off, and then somehow ass backwards because they're like, bigger and faster. TCU out coached, out played, out schemed, out hustled. Everything. Mm. Like we're getting sidetracked here. Anyway, it's a yeah, painful no, topic. I, yeah, it was I, so I'm painful. sorry. <laughs> Only because you brought up Penn State, bro. Sorry, I didn't mean to like push the At dagger. Least we were in the playoffs. <laughs> hey, okay. Good night, everybody. We're I'm leaving also now. <laughs> huge. Uh, you can ask Dan Ives, who's also a huge Penn State. Penn fan. Stater, yeah. I told him months ago when when everybody was hating on Cliff. I told him Cliff is the dude. Watch yeah. him. He can confirm what I said. I said. And then when, the Rose Bowl. And everybody was hating on Cliff. Oh, blah, blah. I said, "What this guy's gonna be?" Because I saw him against Michigan. I was like. This guy is really good, and he, yeah, I, I, I know how to spot good quarterbacks. It's like this guy's gonna be amazing. He, he yeah. found out. Yeah, no, I think he's, yeah, hopefully he makes it to the next level. That Rose Bowl game was incredible by him, and I, I couldn't be happier for him to end the his career that way. The second half of the season for him was a, was a pro phenomenal. showcase. Yeah, yeah, very, very good. So, should, but then next year we got the five star QB starting, so I'm, I'm excited for that too. So, anyway, we'll see what happens. Not Tom, as excited so as, as, as you for that, but okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Tom, thanks again, brother. I'm, we'll, I'm sure we'll talk again many times. Thank you so much. Seriously, it's always a pleasure, pleasure talking with you. Just Subscribe to my channel, PewDiePie, on Tom YouTube. Tom Nash. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look him up, to Tom Nash. Thank you, everybody. We'll see you around. L later. Bye-bye. And...